This is Mandite and the Apprentice Mage, Book One of the Mandite Chronicles, written and narrated by Stu Venable. Prologue Basma, Cardinal Mage of the South, from the Sovereign Duchy of Eldamy, stood before the ancient ornate mirror. What is it, Cardinal Mage? his young apprentice asked. She was tall, but not nearly as tall as Basma, who was considered a mountain of a man. As she was training to become a war mage, her dark brown hair was cropped short. Basma, a tall, portly man with long gray hair, was examining the contents of a small wooden chest. He gazed at the glass orbs within, their ancient enchantments reflecting in his brown eyes. He wore robes of white and gold, with a red sash denoting his rank and title. "'I have no idea what it was called when it was first created, Talina, but I call it a skipping mirror,' Basma said in a gravelly voice, the result of a long and hard life, and more than one battlefield injury. A scar stretched from the center of his throat to his left ear. "'The enchantments are intricate,' she said, approaching the mirror. "'When was it created?' she asked. "'I'm not certain, but it is definitely work from the hands of a craftsman of the second or third age of the old empire. We know that much by the engravings along the frame. "'This section here,' he said, putting on his spectacles and running a finger along the side of the ornate frame, is written in the language of magic. It has not been used since the fall of the old empire. How will this get us to the dark mage? she asked. Better to show than tell, Talina, he said, smiling. I've arranged for you to accompany me once we return to Eldamy, he announced, expecting excitement from his apprentice. But she wasn't excited. She felt fear. Are you sure I'm ready? she asked. Basma turned to look at his apprentice. She was young and beautiful. She wore the black robes of an apprentice mage. Her features were sharp, and her dark eyes, normally wise beyond her years, were filled with dread. You graduated from the Collegium three years ago, and you've served me as apprentice for nearly eight years. I believe you're ready he said reassuringly. Besides, I have already told His Grace that he should consider you for the position of Cardinal Mage of the South when I retire, or fall, he said ominously. Talina looked at her mentor with concerned eyes. Don't talk like that, Cardinal Mage. You have many years of service to give His Grace, she said. Basma smiled warmly. Most who knew Basma's reputation would be surprised with such warmness, for he was the foremost battle mage in the Sovereign Duchy. His magical might had laid low the mendicant armies of the Sea of Sand. His fiery magic had dispersed five thousand Northmen, turning an uprising into a minor riot. Talina knew the real Basma, not the legendary war mage. He was her teacher. He was her mentor. He was her surrogate father. All lives end, Talina, even mine. I have trained you to the best of my ability. You have a talent with the force of fire that rivals mine. I am confident that you can replace me. In fact, I believe that you may surpass me, Basma said. 
I don't want to think about you dying, Cardinal Mage, Talina admitted. Even the most powerful mage cannot defeat death, Talina, Basma said. Talina looked at her mentor. He had become her father. Her true father had forsaken her when she showed magical talent. She was abandoned to the Collegium to learn the magical art, and she was assigned to Basma as his apprentice. Now her mentor, the Cardinal Mage of the South, the most powerful war mage in memory, was growing old. He was still a powerful mage, but he was becoming frail. He didn't realize it, nor did most who knew him, but Talina saw it. She noted his failing memory. She noted that he would have to cast spells more than once to make them work. Talina knew his days were numbered, and at the worst possible time, there was a dark mage, a powerful necromancer, had risen to prominence. Most people didn't realize it. But for those who understood the signs, a new dark age was approaching. She didn't want to admit that she could sense Basma's mortality. But she also didn't want to disappoint him. I will serve his grace as best I can when the time comes, Cardinal Mage. I will strive to make you proud, Talina said. Chapter 1 I had decided to climb the highest peak on Ikota Isle to enjoy an aerial view of the harbor. The sunlight danced on the choppy waves within the harbor, causing the water to glitter from this distance. I turned to each cardinal direction and saw nothing but deep blue ocean. From this height, I could make out the walkways that crisscrossed the cities surrounding the harbor. In between the structures were buildings of every sort and size, and surrounding all of it was a dull white sand that covered most of the island. It was a cloudless spring day. Not that the seasons mattered here. It was nearly always warm and breezy, except for the few rainstorms that would quickly pass overhead a few times a year, usually during what the locals laughingly called winter. This was very nearly paradise, at least as far as the weather was concerned. But this, the farthest of the Far Isles, offered little in the way of creature comforts, and those it did offer were expensive. So not much of a paradise, really. At least for someone like me, a mage. When I was much younger, and a student at the Collegium Magicum, I was destined for a life of influence and creature comforts. That never happened. I was marked as unfit for further magical training. In fact, the masters of the Collegium regretted teaching me anything. They tried to capture and imprison me. That's how I ended up here, far from the Collegium, far from Duke Elkis's guards, far from the sovereign Duchy of Eldamy. My name is Mandite. My last name isn't important, and I tend to keep it secret. Makes me harder to track down. I still consider myself a mage, as do the people who hire my services, even though the law of Eldamy does not. I spied the cut purse as I rounded a bend on my way down the mountain. The path was steep, and the switchbacks were numerous. I could see the natural harbor in the distance and the bustling city that surrounded it. It was a beautiful sight, and well worth the climb, but there were more pressing matters at hand. The cut purse was three switchbacks below me, hiding behind a large boulder. I picked up my pace and walked more lightly, so as not to betray my quickening pace. As luck would have it, the cut purse did not peek around the rock as I approached. I crouched low and leaned against the rock. 
so when the cut purse peaked again, I would be out of sight. It didn't take long for the cut purse to come out from her hiding place, trying to discover where I went. That's when I discovered the cut purse was a she, by the way. She wore a tattered shift that must have been white at some point in the distant past. Her skirts were tattered and stained at the bottom, as they were made for a woman much taller. She looked to be in her fourteenth or fifteenth year. There were smudges of dirt on her pretty face, and her hair, which might have been red, was a matted mess. She was thin, too thin, in fact. I would have put her on the verge of starvation. I watched her as she walked past the rock onto the path. "'You should know better than to try and sneak up on a mage, girl,' I said in a booming voice. She nearly jumped out of her skin with a high-pitched yelp. She spun to face me, wide-eyed. There was a small dagger in her hand. I looked at the dagger. She was quick. I'd give her that. She'd reached for it instinctively when I surprised her. Most people wouldn't have the presence of mind to do that. I wasn't sneaking, Master Mage, she said, straightening herself and bowing. It's too late for niceties, I said, brandishing my staff. I should take you to the Reeve. He knows how to handle cut purses. I'm not a cut purse, she said, offended. Oh, you're not, are you? Then why are you hiding? I demanded. I, I wanted to see if you would disappear, she explained. I looked at her with confusion. What do you mean? I demanded. She pointed further down the path at the next switchback. The air around the switchback was shimmering ever so slightly, a telltale sign of an enchantment. Had I not been so intent on watching this cut purse, I might have missed it entirely and triggered whatever spell had been bound to the area. I turned back to her, eyeing her. Can you see that? I asked. She nodded. Did you set that trap? I asked, approaching her while preparing a defensive gesture. No, Master Mage. I'm no mage. I'm not even an apprentice mage. Not any kind at all, she said while taking a step back. Then why did you think I would disappear? I asked. I saw it before. It took my mum, she explained, her face turning sad. At that spot, I asked, indicating the switchback. No, there are lots of them about. I've spotted lots of them, she said. Lots of them, you say? How many? I asked. Scores, maybe hundreds. And you've seen people disappear in them? She nodded. Only a few times. Once I saw the one that took my mum, I knew what to look for, she explained. This interested me on many levels. Firstly, this young girl had some magical talent. Most who do not practice the art of magic cannot see the signs of an enchantment. In fact, it's one of the ways the Collegium Magicum used to determine if someone had such talent. How long ago did this enchantment take your mother? I asked. I'm not sure, she said sadly. Maybe five winters, maybe more. That's tough business, I said, softening my tone. Let's take a look at it and see if we can dispel it. I walked down to the enchanted switchback. Whoever had crafted it had attempted to hide it even from mages. Had she not pointed it out, I may have mistaken the shimmering from the heat of the path distorting the air. She may have saved my life or saved me from a dangerous or embarrassing situation. 
I examined the area from the edge of the enchantment. It was circular. Can you tell what it does? Do you know where my mum is? She whispered. No. That's difficult to do without walking into it, I explained. I'm afraid that might be dangerous. Do you think she might be dead? She asked quietly. I can't say, lass. No way to know. But such enchantments are rarely laid with good intent, I said. It is possible she met her end. Though not for certain, I added. Her mouth became a straight line and her expression darkened while she stared at the shimmering air. They've all got a rock like that, she said, pointing to a river rock set in the center of the circle. I peered at the rock. The surface of the rock had its own faint shimmer. That's likely the focus of the enchantment, I said. She furrowed her brow and looked at me. Enchantments are lasting spells, I began. Most spells create an immediate effect, but some mages, especially very skilled mages, can place spells on an object of permanence, binding the forces to it. I held up my staff, and she backed away a bit. Don't be scared, I'm explaining, not threatening, I said. She relaxed a little. My staff has a spell placed on it to allow me to channel the forces I summon through it. It has other enchantments that help bolster and control those forces. That's one kind of enchantment. It's a lasting enchantment, I said. I turned back to the enchanted switchback. This, however, is another kind of enchantment. The forces are bound to the stone, along with a logic spell, I explained. She gave me that I-don't-understand expression again. I sighed. A logic spell contains the forces of the enchantment until certain events or conditions occur. When they do, the logic spell ends, and the forces are released to do whatever the enchanter intended, assuming they were competent, of course, I said. How do you dispel it? Well, the easiest way, I explained while pulling a coin from my purse, is to trigger the logic spell. I tossed the coin into the circle. Nothing happened. She looked down at the coin with hunger and longing. Clearly, she had not possessed silver in some time, if ever. "'What's your name, girl?' I asked. "'Jass.' "'I don't remember my family name. It was changed when I was little,' she answered. She was still staring at the coin. "'Well, Jass, it appears that this logic spell won't trigger with an inanimate object. Perhaps it requires a living creature to walk into the circle,' I said. "'I'm not walking in there!' she exclaimed. I laughed. "'Nor do I expect you to.' I looked about and spied a small lizard sunbathing on a rock. I stared at the lizard and began summoning forces. I brought forth the force of the mind. With my right forefinger I traced the magical symbol to shape that force into control, cementing in my mind my intention for the spell. The lizard turned toward me, raised itself by its forelegs, and stared at me. Not breaking eye contact, I said to Jass, Do you see that lizard on the rock there? Approach it. Do not come between me and the lizard. We must maintain eye contact. Grab it for me. It'll run away. They're fast and hard to catch, she said. It won't run, I assure you, Jass. Just bring it here, I said. She did. Now toss it in the circle, I said quietly. She did, and nothing happened. The lizard landed unharmed within the circle, looked around, and scurried into the underbrush beyond the circle. Well, I said, sitting down on a nearby rock, this appears to be a people trap. How can you dispel it now? 
Chas asked. I'm going to unravel the spell, I said. I held up my staff and moved the end of it into the circle until the tip touched the stone. In my mind, I visualized the symbol of the force of magic. In my mind's eye, I could see the intricate lines of the logic spell. It was well-crafted. Through these lines, I could see the main enchantment on the stone. It was even more intricate a spell than the logic spell that held it, and it contained forces I did not recognize. Some of the lines of the spell were pitch black, while others shone like threads of sunlight, each in the form of symbols I did not recognize. I pulled a charcoal stick from my purse along with a small folded parchment and copied them as best I could. They moved and undulated under the lines of the logic enchantment that contained them, keeping the unknown forces at bay. I felt a growing sense of unease as I continued staring at the workings of the inner spell. I suspected these were powerful forces, and I had no clue what this spell did. "'Are you all right?' Jas asked. "'Huh?' I said, opening my eyes. My eyes burned as sweat dripped from my brow. I blinked it away. I was taxing my control of the forces by simply looking at that spell. What kind of spell was this? No doubt dangerous. I closed my eyes again and concentrated on the logic spell. I imagined the symbol of the force of magic again, and envisioned myself cutting one of the threads of the logic spell. It unraveled with a pop and a whoosh of air. When I opened my eyes, I was sitting on the ground next to the small river stone. The spell had pulled me toward the circle. It must have moved or destroyed the air within the circle, creating a vacuum and pulling me toward it. I scrambled for the stone and picked it up. On the underside were two runes I didn't recognize. They were probably runes representing the two unknown forces. "'By the gods and the forces,' I muttered. I think that might have been some sort of transportation spell, and a powerful one. I wasn't certain how I knew that, but somewhere in my mind, at least that portion of the spell resonated. Transportation spell? Jas asked. She walked forward and offered her hand to help me up. I took it. While she was short and thin, she had a strong grip and used her sparse frame to help me stand. I pocketed the stone. Come, Jas, I need to go back to my rooms and study this, I said. I'm not going back to your rooms. I'm no doxy, she said fiercely. She was again holding the small blade at the ready, but now she was close enough to strike. I smiled and showed her my empty palms. I didn't say you were. I have no intention to hire... companionship. Not now, anyway. Besides, you're far too young. I began walking. I could feel her eyes staring at me as I walked. "'There's a meal in it for you, if you assist me,' I called. I heard her hurry up to follow me. Soon she was walking beside me as we made our way down the treacherous switchbacks. I decided conversation was in order. "'So your mother disappeared four or five winters ago?' I asked. "'I think so. It's, it's hard to remember.' I had neither paper nor quill to keep a diary, she answered sadly. That was interesting. This island urchin had letters enough to keep a diary? Few her age on this island knew their numbers, let alone their letters. What of your father? Did he not come looking for you? I asked. 
I never knew my father, and my mother wouldn't speak of him, she answered. Were you born on the island? I asked. No. My mum said we came here when I was little, but I don't remember that, she said. Was she running from something, your mother? Perhaps from your father? I asked. I don't know. She never said why we came here, she replied. If you would like to find out more about my writing, go to stewvenable.com.